0: Hello everyone and welcome to Wii Universe. This is the show where we are talking about every single Wii U game. We're playing them in a random order and then just giving our thoughts and opinions on it. And you know what? Sometimes they're the correct opinions, and sometimes they're wrong. They're objectively wrong. There are objective truths in this world, and sometimes we find them. Uh let's see if we find one today. My name is Steve Guntley. Hello. Hi Steve. Um
1: Come sail away, come sail away, <laughs> come sail with a, away with us. Um, and me, your skipper, or first mate, Woody Siskowski. Oh, you're I don't right? know what our what our seamanship hierarchy is. Yeah, like, we,
0: we haven't figured this out, but there was a debate recently. We got to hang out this weekend, and there was a debate about how uh, easy it is or not to become a captain. Oh, right. Uh, and so uh, I, I, I don't know if I quite qualify as a captain, but I don't know if you qualify as a captain. You have more seamanship experience than I do.
1: I do. I actually have a a, a relatively goodly amount of uh, seamanship experience growing up on an island and having a dad who is a former seaman.
0: Yeah, and you had to go out onto like. I guess a, when uh, you, you think about it, Steve, boat.
1: we're all former former seamen.
0: <laughs> all of us but, are former seamen, yeah. but uh, uh, yeah, but you're 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 one of the kinds like from the uh, Sega Dreamcast that like has a sassy attitude and a human face.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm voiced by Leonard Nimoy.
0: Absolutely. Oh Absolutely. man, wouldn't
1: that be a good get for our podcast if <laughs> Did we, we had... could just get Leonard Nimoy's voice
0: back from the and... grave? Yeah, bring him yeah. bring him on here. Uh, I'm very excited today because we are talking about uh, the latest James Bond adventure, Wind Waker, uh, which I think is going to be really fun. <laughs> it's a high-flying uh, uh, a spy thriller. Uh, oh, no, correction. This is a Legend of Zelda game called the Ooh, Wind Waker whoa. HD. Legend Perfect. of Zelda, uh, famously kind of, a, kind of a decent series. Uh, people yeah. seem to like it.
1: This is This is my understanding as well. I've never dipped my toes in myself. But uh, I was happy to give it a try here.
0: Yeah, yeah. First time. First time playing any kind of Zelda, which is very exciting. Uh, So we will dig into that in a minute, or rather we'll splash into it, because it's very aquatic. We'll take a big dive. Yeah. Uh, But uh, first of all, let's talk about what else we're playing right now. What else you got going on?
1: Sure. Um, The other game that I in playing that i have revisited um after having spent a goodly amount of hours on it is a game called nuclear throne which like all great games um is a top-down shooter roguelike twin stick which is you know just objectively the greatest genre of game
0: of course um
1: and i this game is a very very fast game like i've played a ton of enter the gungeon and like The things that happen in Nuclear Throne happen so much faster than in Enter the Gungeon. And um, it's not a super like great looking game, but it just it's very clear where the enemies are and like it just moves very fast. And that's kind of a mixed blessing because I find myself replaying those first levels over and over even 30 hours again in like most roguelike games. You kind of get a handle on it, and you're always clearing the first few levels. Like, there's a lot of games, w- roguelike games, where I can consistently get to the end. Okay. Like I have like a run of dead cells, I will almost always get to at least the fourth or fifth biome. Nuclear Throne, like I often die in the sewers, which is the second level. So you're because, you're like... playing it
0: Steve style, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're it up. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, because there's a lot of a uh, lot of things that explode after you shoot them, and those explosions can kill you in one hit. And then the game will just be like, you failed to reach the nuclear throne, and then you just have to restart. Um, but it is a very uh, fun, addictive game that I like a lot, and have mixed feelings about it being so hard.
0: <laughs> it's a, uh, I mean, it's a great combination of words making up that title. That's like a really catchy title. I don't know, yeah. so I'm, I'm excited. That, that yeah, sounds really cool. Yeah, you play as. Uh, I mean,
1: a selection of mutants in kind of a post-apocalyptic world. So as you collect okay. radiation, you can get new mutations.
0: All right, so I'm going to say my headcanon is that this is the precursor for Mutant League football, which we all know is the greatest game ever made, aside from That's Mutant true. League hockey. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah, to the two the two, greats. Um, yeah, so I, I was on a plane recently, and I was uh, – so I brought my Switch with me. I was trying to play mm-hmm. through some games that I've had sitting on my Switch for a long time and I haven't really uh, uh, spent much time with. And so I dusted off uh, a game that I I played originally when it first came out years and you years. You blew ago. on the contacts. I blew on the contacts. Made sure it all worked. Uh, this this the game I played years and years ago and really enjoyed it and have been wanting to revisit it and now I am and it's called Odd World Strangers Wrath HD. There's a new ah. HD remake of uh, a really cool and interesting and weird combination of genres. You play as a lion-like cowboy uh, that dresses like Clint Eastwood in the uh, Fistful of Dollars trilogy.
1: And I believe this game originally came out on Xbox and PS2?
0: It is, yeah. I think it's from okay. 2005, something like okay. that. Uh And uh, you are a bounty hunter, and all you have to help capture your bounties is a crossbow that can hold two different types of living ammo. So you have to collect a bunch of like little bugs and creatures to use as ammunition. They all have different effects, and you get different uh, payoffs depending on whether you capture your target alive or dead. And I'm trying to capture them all alive. You get twice as much money. It's much more challenging that way, but it is... Uh, a great deal of fun. I think it it's it's uh, switches back and forth between first and third person views pretty seamlessly. It's one of those games that just like really figured out how to do that pretty early hmm. on. Uh, it's got. I mean, like I I just love the vibe of Oddworld games, but most Oddworld games have kind of frustrating gameplay mechanics that, Right, that make most little... Oddworld
1: games are like puzzle cinematic platformers
0: Yeah, or they. Yeah, and they have like those very kind of stilted movement, uh, this is fast, it's fun, it's uh, pretty intuitive to control and uh, it's just kind of a nice mix, I'm glad they were able to bring that Oddworld spirit into something that's a little uh, more playable uh, than like Abe's Odyssey or things like that, so
1: Is this the only, there hasn't been all that many Oddworld spinoffs
0: no, not really. And this is, I think, the only one, like, I, I believe EA bought Oddworld Inhabitants, uh, the the developer of this, and so this is, the, I think, the only EA published Oddworld game. So okay. that would explain why it's a little bit more uh, gamified, you know, it's it's got uh, some slicker mechanics going on, but they kept it weird and i like that they kept it weird and i just i i i really celebrate uh that series not because it's like my favorite to play but just because there's a lot of unbridled creativity going on in the odd world games and i really uh, appreciate that yeah yeah i'll so. have to give that one a try i
1: didn't know that it had gotten an hd re-release very cool
0: yeah it did absolutely it's, it's a pretty good re-release too it looks pretty nice on the switch
1: well, that's a timely segue, I must say. I think so.
0: <laughs> for a For a two, early 2000s game that got a nice HD remake, let's talk about Legend of Zelda Wind Waker HD. So this was released September 20th, 2013, developed and published by Nintendo. And this version is exclusive to Wii U, but it also appeared on the GameCube, of course.
1: Right. So, And I, I just want to point out here as a real selling point for those still on the fence of the Wii U, this is like... This is the way to play Wind Waker still. Like, it yeah. has not been released in a newer form since then. No, no. Which is kind of surprising. I don't know why there hasn't just been a port of Wind Waker HD on the Switch. But.
0: I'm a little surprised by that, too. Maybe it was just a, a difficult thing to translate over into a cartridge or something. Because this is, a, a, you know, we'll, we'll dig into it. But this is a really gorgeous-looking uh, HD transfer. And uh, yeah. I think it just it so pops on... on The Wii U, but I'm curious if they just couldn't fit it onto that little cartridge. Um, But Wind Waker has kind of become one of the more beloved Zelda games over the years, but it really did not start out that way. In fact, gamers were downright hostile to this game when the first images were (laughs) released. Gamers hostile
1: to something? Can you believe it? I I can't believe it. They're always so open and embracing of new ideas and series taking things in creative direction. This is
0: a rare moment where gamers were kind of reactionary and sort Mm -hmm. of uh, uh, got really upset about something that they didn't uh, have a chance to play yet. So,
1: thank goodness we're past that time. Oh,
0: hallelujah. I'm so glad Uh, cooler heads have since prevailed. So part of the image problem of this game came from an early demo of the game, which was released before it was actually even ready. So Eiji Aonuma, who is uh, the director for Majora's Mask, he's back to work on this one, as he was with Twilight Princess. Uh, And he and his team were struggling to settle on a new creative direction. So Nintendo insisted that they put together some kind of demo to show at the Space World Expo in 2000. And so they quickly threw something together. It was a a quick, playable fight between Link and Ganon, and it used an art style that was very similar to what we saw in Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, but it was higher res, uh, bigger sprites, and everything looked darker and grittier and meaner. Okay. And uh, the this demo caused a lot of buzz when it was released, and gamers were very excited at the prequel of a graphically advanced, more serious, more gritty Zelda game. But Aonuma, for his part, absolutely hated it. Uh, he felt huh. it was too derivative of the style that had come before. It wasn't distinguishing itself at all from previous games. And so finally, it was uh, design manager Satoru Takazawa who eventually cracked the new direction. He was idly doodling a couple of different versions of Link just to get his creative juices flowing, and he found himself drawn to a colorful, cartoonish-looking version of Link that had these big anime eyes. Uh, Aonuma really liked the drawing, and he asked the design team to sketch out a few enemies in this style to see if it could transfer to the entire world. They were all really excited about this new direction, and they decided to go with it. Um, they converted the models into three D using a cell shading tool, and they felt so energized and excited about the new look that the project just clicked into place. Development happened very quickly from there, which is not something you usually hear in relation to a Zelda game, which are usually <laughs> very torturous and uh, take a lot out of the developers. But uh, after yeah, so uh, they everyone was really excited about this new direction. The mechanics fell in place from there, and the new art style was unveiled at Space World the following year in two thousand one. And the backlash was pretty much immediate. Uh, there was a vocal contingent of fans who turned on the game, angry that the so-called mature direction that they were promised was being denied in favor of what they deemed to be uh, Nintendo's babyish new emphasis. This this was a big concern among nerds in the early two thousands. They thought that Nintendo was getting too family friendly, which is also kind of ignoring what Nintendo has always been. Yes, uh, I don't know which exactly.
1: has been family friendly. It's just it's people having sort of aged out of Nintendo's demographic in some way Mm -hmm. and feeling like somehow that was Nintendo's fault. Yeah, Um, yeah. Even though, to be clear, like, there's nothing that's... I wouldn't describe Zelda as either as a mature franchise, like, really ever. Like, it's sort of whimsical fantasy. If anything, I feel like the N64 ones are kind of the outliers um, in terms of feeling pretty dark yeah um honestly that's one of my least favorite things about the nintendo 64 zeldas especially ocarina of time is like the a lot of that game as adult link is just very very bleak and it kind of wears you down just being in that world like every time you know you restart in the temple of time and you run outside to the main uh hyrule city and like those re scream at you
0: Oh, yeah, and they they (laughs) freeze you in place. And, and, I mean, Majora's Mask is also, like, really oppressively dark. I mean, there's the apocalypse is hanging over your head the entire game, and it happens multiple times, and you die and have to start over. Like, it it, it was a direction that the series was already going in, and I don't know how much darker I really would have wanted the series to go from here, because, honestly, like... I think if, you, if you're getting too dark, if you're getting too gritty with it, you are losing the whimsy. And the whimsy is kind of the selling point of of Zelda. You know, you're not here for the gore. You're not here for Link smoking and hiring hookers. You know, it's it's about, you know, magic and fantasy. And and sometimes yeah. there's a war or there's a battle or there's a conflict involved in it. But it's not going to be like serious real world consequences. The, there's one, what video
1: game, we don't need more dark, gritty, mature video games. There's not like a dearth of those out there where people are like, oh, I wish there were games that like satiated my bloodlust and had like raw masculine energy that pulsed through them. I
0: have my Um, copy of Manhunt. I'm good.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's just, there's plenty of options um, for those themes and something that is sort of designed to appeal to all audiences, I think is a little more more welcome honestly and a little more of a rarity
0: yeah uh so fans at this time they derisively called the game Zelda because of the cell shading and they launched petitions and websites to try and convince nintendo to go back to the original art style and i also have to ask have petitions just been rendered completely useless from overuse <laughs> like i feel like there was a point in in time when a petition was a useful way to help get things done and now we've just gone so like cuckoo bananas over it that we just ignore any kind of petition that comes to us, you know. So like, uh,
1: I think they've still functioned maybe at, um, in a local space, like for local politics and government, of uh, in terms of being able to get things on the ballot. But when you can just publish a petition online, and have you know people all over the world sign it then it doesn't seem to have much merit because now we got a hundred thousand signatures on this um and you're like great how much how many what percentage of that is it versus people who are actually interested in the game
0: exactly it's become something like a digital ransom note you know it's just like make these changes or we'll you know boycott your game and uh that's you can't give in to terrorists you know so like it's going (laughs) to be ignored uh and that's kind of what happened here too you know the uh Uh, You know, fans were really upset about it. Uh, Series producer Shigeru Miyamoto, who initially had his own concerns about the new artistic direction, was really surprised and dismayed by the backlash. And he asked the team to hold off on showing any new images until they could focus on the gameplay and less on the graphics. Mm -hmm. So once a playable demo was released, some fans' concerns were allayed, but there was still a very vocal contingent who swore never to buy the game at all. And this is actually one of the few times where fan backlash may have actually had an impact on the actual sales. Because when Wind Waker debuted on the GameCube in March of 2003, it sold significantly less than Ocarina of Time. It moved about 4 million units, uh, whereas Ocarina did about 8, I think. Uh, And so while this was uh, still a hit by most any metric, Nintendo was disappointed with the results. They were hoping this would be... You know, the GameCube was kind of lagging behind the PS2 and the Xbox. You know, it was seen as kind of the lesser of the three consoles. We've since come around to that, of course. But <laughs> um, but they still needed, like, a really big hit. And Zelda is consistently a huge performer for Nintendo. So I think that scared them a little bit that it didn't do as well as the previous games. Uh, which is why I think they overcorrected with the next game, which was Twilight Princess, which we, we talked about already. That was trying to go back and give the gamers the dark and gritty game that they thought that they wanted.
1: Right. And I, I want to talk about that real quick because, you know, the graphics here are, you know, a pretty focal point of the game. Yeah. And I think that this game has aged graphically so much better than Twilight. So princess. So much better. Like, yeah. Twilight princess is a, a perfectly fine looking game. Um, and, but like, Here, especially on the Wii U, this works so well on the Wii U because, like, the resolution on that Wii U gamepad is not fantastic. Um, And for dark games, every, like, dark, detailed games, everything really tends to blur together. Yeah. And, like, Twilight Princess is a game that there's not a ton, there's not a ton of stuff to look at visually. Like, a lot of parts of the world feel a little empty and are not quite as detailed. And there's as kind of like, like a lot Twilight of princess. dust in the
0: air. Yeah.
1: But like it all pops so much cleaner and it's so much easier to sort of get an idea of where you are, where the entrances and exits to a world are, what things you can interact with. Whereas um, in Twilight princess, there's a lot of just kind of dark corners that you're not quite sure if there's something over there that you should be messing with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think it it, and just having a cartoonish style just sort of makes your game a little bit more timeless because you're not trying to keep up with the graphical trends of the time. We're trying to lock it in place a little bit, which is why like so many Disney cartoons still look so good, like 50, 60, 70 years later, you know, and you can still watch those and enjoy them.
1: And Uh, the other thing, too, like this game, I think has a much more leisurely pace than a lot of Zelda games. And there's certain aspects of the gameplay that kind of enforce that for better or worse. But um, I think that it is a much more pleasant world to be in. It is. Then like Ocarina of Time, which yeah, can sometimes be a little bit dark and oppressive. And here just like sailing around or rocking around an Island um, and just kind of exploring the environments is to me a much more, joyful thing to do
0: yeah and i mean while this wasn't as big of a sales hit as the last couple of zelda games this was still hugely critically acclaimed at the time of release many pointed out that that cartoony art style kind of belayed a much darker and more violent storyline than initially appeared mm-hmm. i think the single most violent image in this entire series is at the end of this game uh and spoiler alert for people who haven't gotten there but uh your finishing blow on ganon is to jump way up in the air and drive your sword between his eyes <laughs> which is like kind of a startlingly violent thing for this like happy little cartoonish link to be doing right uh, but it, it you know so th- i think there's some darker stuff going on here than is initially uh, it initially appears this is not like a babyish game it's got nope. a cartoony style but it feels of a piece with other zelda games in terms of tone totally um and so the title has only grown in esteem over the years and many outlets praise it as one of the best games in the series uh now despite their seeming ambivalence about the new art style nintendo did follow up on this world with two direct sequels for the ds those are uh, phantom hourglass and spirit tracks which i think people are rightfully a little bit more mixed on those have you played those two
1: i haven't played those no see
0: i played both of them uh phantom hourglass is kind of frustrating because it's got this mechanic where you keep going back to the same dungeon
1: right that's the only thing i really know about it yeah
0: and it's like a timed segment it's just kind of a pain in the ass and then spirit tracks is better but it also kind of locks you in because you need to like draw your routes on the second screen like to take your train on certain ways and it it can make traveling just a little bit of a of a hassle but that one is Mm, a better game. Uh, But still, the increased reputation made this a great candidate for an HD remake. So let's talk about this remake. This version features several key improvements over the first one. Firstly, and it has to be said again, this is a crystal clear 1080p native resolution, which is such a good fit for this color palette. You know, that was one of our dings. You've already mentioned it a little bit. But with Twilight Princess is that, like, you're making this HD, and I'm sure it's very crisp and clear, but it's still a very brown game. Yeah. And this game is like just all greens and blues and yellows. And it's just really blowing up off the screen. So you can really appreciate what a nice job they did uh, upresing this game. Yep. Um, the audio has also been re-recorded and remixed. So it sounds very good. And this is one of my favorite all time gaming soundtracks. Like mm. I've played this game so much and just immediately hearing the music cue up as you get out onto the open ocean. I was just immediately sent back to when I first played it and like why I got so hooked on it.
1: Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, as you would expect, like from a game with wind in the title, there's a lot of, you know, wind instruments and a lot of and flutes and like, yeah, exactly. Um, Kind of a, there's kind of a Celtic feel yeah. to the soundtrack, which I think fits really
0: well. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's kind of a nice like seafarers shanties kind of uh, kind of take on the Zelda theme. Um, So most significantly, this game makes some big improvements to the overall pacing of the game. Uh, there are several nice updates. You're, to the, you're talking
1: about the 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 re the re-release. The re-release, those. yeah, the re-release.
0: Okay. Uh, there are several nice updates to the UI. You no longer need to equip the sail manually, which you used to have to do. You can just get into the boat and uh, press a button, and you'll go. Okay. Uh, and there are also dedicated buttons for the treasure hook, the cannon, and the wind waker. They're all mapped to your D-pad, so you're not constantly needing to like open up your menu and switch it out and like do that, which which uh, helps negate some tedious item switching.
1: Yep. And I mean, the big the big thing that helps negate the tedious item switching is if you're playing on the TV, it's just your inventory is right on the gamepad and you can move items and assign them to your buttons without even pausing the game.
0: Drag and drop. It's perfect. Yeah, it's really easy. Uh, and of course yeah, this game uses the gamepad as a map and a menu screen and you can also play entirely off TV with the push of a mm-hmm. button, which uh, I did quite a bit. you know like it, yeah. it looks great on an HD TV, but it does still look quite good on the gamepad because like you said, there's just a be- the color palette is just better suited to a smaller screen. So it's not I've... a bad way to play it.
1: This is um, and honestly in my one of the best Wii U gamepad games that we have played. And it it, it seems odd because there's no like super gimmicky or obvious feature that you're like, oh, yes, that really makes it work with the gamepad. But like this game is just so conducive, like all those features help so much because I always remember in like, um, you know, the original Wind Waker or certainly Ocarina of Time, you have to spend so much time pausing the game, assigning a new weapon to one of your uh, one of your slots And the fact that you don't have to do that here makes such a huge difference. The fact that you don't have to pause to look at the map screen that you can just kind of look down.
0: Um, And this game uses the map more than maybe any other Zelda game. The map is a very important feature of this game.
1: Right. Like, well, especially when you're out sailing and you have these different charts um, that sort of dictate where you want to go. And like one of the things that I was I've played through this game once and I got it sort of right around the time it came out. And I enjoyed sort of the core Zelda-ness of it, mm-hmm. but um, I do remember late in the game, there becomes a segment where you just have to sail around and find certain things. Yes. And I remember that segment driving me nuts. nutso.
0: And that Be- segment has been uh, edited significantly in the HD mm-hmm. version. You uh, you now only have, uh, it's, a, it's a much shorter quest. This is the Triforce quest. Basically, you're, okay. you're sailing around looking for chunks of the Triforce, which I agree is a very long and tedious process, and this streamlines it a lot. I think you only need to get three pieces now as opposed to like ten before, and uh, uh, it's, it, there's much less guesswork involved. And I
1: and I will say like being able to play on the gamepad, I'm not a big proponent of double screening things. I know you're a lot uh, a lot better at that than I am. Well, my ADHD
0: like, makes it me. It makes it a requirement, but yeah.
1: Um but being able to I do feel like in the situation where you're just kind of sailing from island to island because that's another odd thing about this game, like sailing is kind of your main mode of transportation yeah. and there's no quick travel.
0: No. Well, not um, at first. Yeah,
1: not at first. Yeah. I mean, it takes a while before you get it. Yeah. Um, and especially if you're just kind of exploring for treasure and it can take a pretty long time to sail from island to island. And so being able to just play on the gamepad and kind of just let Link go um, and then look back in two minutes and be like, oh, yeah, I'm there now. Yeah. Um, it, it is really nice if you have something going on the TV.
0: And the the sea travel has been significantly improved here too. Like uh, the sail you get this time is much faster. Uh, it's okay. They call it the swift sail. So you're, you're moving much faster and you're able to change direction a lot easier. I believe if I remember correctly, you needed – well, you need to use a song to change the direction of the wind. And that's still right. true. But I think you needed some different songs for different cardinal directions, which became I- – is that right? Am I remembering that I wrong? I
1: kind of remember that too. It's been so long since I've played this original game. Yeah. And honestly, like all of the improvements here are so unobtrusive. Yeah. Like that they're not obvious. Like you wouldn't think that they would necessarily be anything changed because they just make sense.
0: Yeah. Um, and some of them are just so miniature, like like the the text scrolls way faster, you know, so you can right. get through those scenes quicker.
1: But like, I I do remember being sort of, a lot of little, little irritants I just kind of remember in my original playthrough. And here, they just all felt so, like, there was still a couple parts where, like, you have to talk to the same character multiple times to trigger different dialogue. Right. Which always messes me up in these games. Yeah. Because I'll talk to them once, and they'll be like, you have to go find this item or rescue my friend, and then I'll go do that. And it never occurs to me that, like, I have to go back and talk to them again to trigger, like, what happens next. Right. Um, that Those are, like, very little annoyances, but, like, I mean, what? This game, you said, originals came out in 2005?
0: 2003, yeah.
1: 2003, so I think this is probably the oldest game that we've talked about from the Wii U.
0: Uh, yeah, not, I think maybe technically. Maybe, like, Legend
1: of K. I don't remember when that came out.
0: That, yeah, that no, but, I think that came out after this, so, yeah, yeah.
1: But, like, everything just works so well and it's really hard to believe that like this game originally came out in 2003 yeah it it really feels modern i did
0: like pop in my gamecube disc just to kind of do a compare and contrast and see how good that the game looks compared to yeah uh, that and it, it is just such a noticeable difference i mean part of it is just you can't really up the GameCube very well to modern TVs, you know, so right. you're always going to get a little bit of a worse image, but they did a spectacular job with it. Uh, you know, and it, it paid off. This would end up being the ninth highest grossing game on the Wii U. 2.3 million copies sold. Pretty good for for this system. Um, mm-hmm. It was also weird because this was originally only sold uh, as a digital version for like a good month and a half before they actually huh. released a physical edition. So strange decision, but hey, you know, paid off for them. Um... So a little bit about the story here. So, of course, Zelda has a famously convoluted timeline uh, The Nintendo has, like, gone back and forth on uh, solidifying, but uh, most agree that this takes place furthest on the timeline. So basically, if okay. Skyward Sword is earliest and everyone in the world lives in the clouds, this is latest in the timeline. The Earth has been flooded. Basically, the Hyrule that you knew in the original Zelda is uh, 100 feet underwater from you. Um So uh, all of the world uh, lives on a bunch of isolated islands now, separated by this wide blue ocean, Uh, and in this iteration, Link is a young boy living on Outset Island with his grandmother and his sister, Uh, and the game opens on Link's birthday, where he's gifted with a green tunic that supposedly belonged to an ancient hero of lore, of which you are supposedly descended And shortly after receiving this gift, a giant bird sweeps down over the island and captures your sister, taking her to the Forsaken Fortress for unknown sinister reasons. (laughs) So Link needs to team up with a pirate captain named Tetra, who is totally not Zelda. I don't know where you get that idea. And her crew uh, to go rescue uh, his sister. But the mission is unsuccessful, and Link is cast into the water by a mysterious man who turns out to be the reawakened spirit of Ganondorf. Uh, but luckily, you are awakened by a talking boat called the King of Red Lions, which is just a good name for a boat.
1: It is a good name. There's a very weird spot right at the beginning um, where you get rescued by this king of this boat, King of Red Lions, and he's like, "I've taken you to this island where you can find a sail." Yeah. I can't travel because they don't have a sail, and you're like, "Wait,
0: how'd you get here? How us? did you
1: take me to this island?" Then.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and and if you look at the map, they're pretty far away, you know. So yeah. I don't know how he wound up all this way away from the Forsaken Fortress, but. But that basically kicks things off for you. You need to ride around in your cool new lion boat, and you need to gather all the different pearls of the goddesses and the different pieces of the Triforce, and uh, kill Ganon, which is
1: yeah, most Zelda games.
0: Know,
1: yeah, exactly. It's it, they always just have to think of all right, what sort of three to seven sort of pendants or jewelries or you know magic balls will Link need to collect this time? Yeah, um, I do this. This is the game that I guess kind of establishes the idea that Link isn't really one dude. You know what I mean? Right. It's a little confusing. It's It's like Link is more of an avatar who sort of has defended Hyrule through time. Yeah, they're kind of the
0: pieces of the Triforce, right? There's always going to be a Link, a Zelda, a Ganondorf, you know, and they're always just going to appear in some iteration.
1: Because I think all of the other games, you could just kind of get the feeling that, okay, this is— I don't know. They never explored this concept enough to make you think that Link would have been a different sort of person. No. But this is the game that makes that kind of explicit, especially because when you start, you don't even they don't even tell you that your character is Link. It's just whatever you named your game.
0: Right. And you're just
1: kind of some random dorky kid from the island.
0: You know, and this game does get a lot of it's like this isn't actually super plot heavy, but they do. Front load it with plot, and and I yeah. think that's kind of the the bitter pill we've all had to swallow. Like as we go back looking at these Zelda games, we need to accept that Zelda games are a little slower to start than you might remember. I think yeah this one gets to it uh faster and better than Twilight Princess did. Yeah, I think it's it's more compelling in its uh, pacing and things like that. But this does also make a big mistake that I need to shout out, and that's opening the game with the worst dungeon. Like, yeah i don't know it's why it's a really
1: weird choice it's a
0: weird choice because the game opens you know you got a little bit on outset island and then your sister gets kidnapped and you get sent immediately to the fortress to try and rescue her which is kind of cool it's like you would think the fortress is where the game is going to end you know right. and it does but you need to go to the fortress and kind of see how foreboding it is and see how unequipped you so are to you, take it on
1: yeah tetra like in the pirate ship launches you out of a cannon um, to make it to the island. And in that process, you drop your sword. Yeah. Which you just... It, it, on outset island, like, you you get trained to use your sword, and it shows you the different um, abilities. Nothing is significantly different than, like, the N64 Zelda, but it's still a very working combat system. Yeah,
0: they added, like, um, some counter like, moves they, and stuff, but yeah. The...
1: Yeah, they train you to do this. You might cut a little bit of grass, and then your first dungeon, they're like, okay, no more sword. And that's it's a weird really po- weird.
0: Like it's also not very indicative of what the game is going to be like this starting the game off with like this forced stealth section, uh, makes you think like this is going to be a more stealth heavy game than it is. And this is really kind of the only bit. Uh, yeah. and, and, uh, it's just a weird way to start the game. Plus I think the map of the fortress is really confusing and kind of like yep. circuitous and, uh, uh, lots of corridors that look the same.
1: And, and if enemies see you, like, it's not terribly hard as a stealth session because you get these barrels you can hide oh, in, yeah. you know, solid snake style, but if an enemy sees you they throw you back to the beginning of for- the fortress and it can be kind of easy to get demoralized right from the start and be like Ugh, I'm not interested in this game like if this is what this is going to be like I don't want to keep playing and
0: it is a relatively short section but it can take a little bit because like I said the map is a little confusing and uh you yeah. might get lost so I, I think that's kind of the biggest mistake this game makes is just opening with this segment however yeah, it's a
1: really it's a really bizarre choice like it seems like the obvious I, I like the story point of giving you this fortress first but taking away your sword is 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 really weird
0: but once Um, but it does yeah
1: it does establish another mechanic of this game um one thing i really noticed in this playthrough is like this is probably the zelda game that breath of the wild has cribbed the most stuff from yeah like um obviously uh you know breath of the wild a whole total breath of fresh air in terms of zelda yeah but um there's a lot of things that come right from this game. And a big one is enemies will drop their weapons. Like enemies have specific weapons. And if you hit them with their sword, your sword, they'll drop it and sort of like panic, run around trying to get it. And then you can pick up, you know, the big knife that they had or just a stick they were using and, you know, use it to fight back against them, which is very Breath of the Wildy. And you get
0: a glider Uh, later on too. You get like a big leaf glider. you can glide across the wind
1: enemies drop like a variety of kind of they're called spoils um which you sort of just kind of collect and can trade in at other portions or like it's sort of a crafting mechanic you can meet someone who's like okay you give me four of these sort of um plant deku plant nuts and uh we can turn them into a potion
0: yeah and some of them are going to be like useless but some people are just going to be like really seeking out like one particular item and you can use it to trade in yeah
1: Yeah, so it's like this game has a lot of elements of kind of more modern open world stuff, even though I wouldn't really describe this game. There's there's some elements of this game that are kind of open world because you can kind of sail wherever you want as soon as you get the, um, you know, the song of wind. Yeah. Uh, But you're not going to find that much on the islands until you have a bigger arsenal of weapons.
0: Exactly, which, of course, you're going to get from the the various dungeons, which, uh, you know, after you get past this fortress uh, in the beginning, the dungeons are very well designed and a lot of fun. and. They they offer uh, frequent like uh, warp points you know in case you like die and have yeah, to start Yeah, ba- they give the you
1: banjo kazooie style cauldrons. They
0: do, yeah, yeah, which rhyme at you and everything. No, they don't rhyme. They should <laughs> rhyme, and they should grunt and make weird noises every time you jump in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I thought these were like really well designed dungeons. But really, for me, the centerpiece of this game has always been the sailing. Um, I think like the moment you first like unfurl your sails and take off into this big ocean, you've got all these great like cartoony white caps and like the surface of the water changes from moment to that, moment, the weather that changes. That is
1: another thing um, that I wonder like the making of water in like video games and like CGI water is really hard and it's really um, like CPU intensive Yeah. because it's like, all right, we have to have the physics of the way this water ebbs and flows. And I do wonder if They decided upon the art style and then were like, hey, since we have this kind of art style where we don't have to make realistic water, let's have it be sort of water and sailing focused. Or if they started with that sort of sailing idea and that was another thing that sort of pushed them towards this art style. Because I... I don't think that this game could be done very easily on the GameCube. Like they couldn't make very good looking water if it was not animated.
0: You'd have to really rein it in, and I can tell you that like they, it started with the art style, and then the sailing mechanic came from there because they liked how the water looked in this right. in this uh, uh, art style. So like, yeah, that just kind of unlocked the whole game, and like that that introduced all the the water and sailing mechanics, which I think is really the right choice. I, I just think there there is something just kind of magical about uh, setting sail on this big cartoony ocean, you know, and. It's it's really fun for me to like uh you know there's in every square of the map you can find a, a a talkative fish and if you give him some bait he'll he'll fill out your map for you so like I remember first time playing this I just really wanted to cover every corner of this map
1: Yeah this game definitely triggers that OCD impulse because like you will find charts as kind of a common reward just around the around the world and they will sort of They'll mark a piece of treasure on the map, but it will kind of just be like near the shape of an island. It won't tell you what island that actually is. Right. So it's really dependent on actually going and exploring and finding these fish who will actually mark the shape of the island on your map. And then you have to match up like the shape of the island on your chart versus what's on your map. And it's, I think it works really well. It's fairly simple seafaring mechanics. I wish there was... A little bit more to the sailing that made it you you felt a little more um engaged yeah like you felt like there was a little more control because i mean sailing is a sort of a constant to to sail efficiently in real life is like a constant adjusting and readjusting of lines and tightening of the sails and depending on where the wind shifts um Like, here, it's all very forgiving. It's like you play a song to point the wind one direction, and then you just raise the sail, and you go. And you can kind of turn upwind or even adjacent to the wind, like, pretty easily. And just
0: like in Um, real life, you you can make your boat jump. Yeah, you can make your boat jump. You can just make it do a little boat hop. Yeah.
1: Um, There's also just a button to allow you to cruise at, like, a somewhat decent speed, even though, like, I don't think that the boat has a motor.
0: Nope. Not um, so much. And,
1: you know, it's, it's the trade-off. Like, I, I get that, like, you don't want to make sailing complicated. No. Um, but I wish that there was a little more, because I find sometimes the ocean can be, just like in real life, a little bit open, and there's not sort of things to see as much as you want.
0: Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I've, I think they found a good balance, because, like, yeah, the, the, the catch there is that some of the things you see are going to be The same a couple of times like you'll Mm, you'll run into a lot of these like slalom barrels that'll let you collect rupees by like sailing between them, which is fine. It's a good little diversion when you're getting from place to place. You'll see the same like uh, uh, shops or the same like uh, sentry towers with like enemies shooting at you, you know, so there'll be a few common elements that you'll run into. But also every once in a while you'll run into a weird shaped island that'll have some mysterious statue that you can't explain, and you'll you'll want to like mark that and remember to come back and check it out. Or, or sometimes you'll find like a uh, uh, some some glowing item in the middle of the ocean, and you can use your little treasure crane to like you know plumb the depths and try and bring that up.
1: Oh, which we should mention right now, treasure crane is a grappling hook. Yes, this is a grappling hook game. Good grappling hooks um, in this game. Yeah, I, they're good grappling hooks. I mean, this is a more this is a more traditional-style grappling hook than, you know, because Zelda games have had a grappling hook for a long time. It's just called the hook shot. Yeah, and you do have and, a hook
0: shot here, too, eventually. Oh,
1: you get the hook shot in this game you
0: also? You do. Yeah, you get it in a lot. Oh, okay, while. I
1: forgot. I believe um, you
0: upgrade your, like, rope and hook uh, grappling hook with a hook shot.
1: Okay. The hook shot is, like, I think objectively cooler than the grappling hook. Oh, sure. Because it just pulls you right there. But, like, the swinging mechanics work pretty well. There was a couple times where I got confused, like— Somehow the dual stick mechanics in this game are kind of confusing. Like, I kept trying to aim the grappling hook with my, you know, left stick. Yeah. Um, but that actually moves Link, and you have to move it with the right stick. Um, you have to aim with the right stick. And there's also a section where you have to hop in these flowers that will shoot you up into the sky. And I couldn't figure out how to, like, aim them. I kept trying to, like— I was
0: not a fan of those little flower buds because they, they don't give you a lot of margin for error. Uh, um, right. you know, and like you just it, it, you there's a lot of falling to the ground, uh, and, and trying to get back up in there. So, I yeah, that wasn't my favorite, but I did find using the gamepad to aim the grappling hook was actually a really intuitive mechanic. And, uh, uh oh,
1: like you, like, did you use it gyroscope? Yeah, you use
0: gyroscope just physically. Oh, I didn't even
1: know that was an option.
0: Yeah, just physically pointed at your hook, and it it goes pretty smoothly. Um, okay, like I, I'll have to try back. I, I enjoy playing it that way, you know, and normally I'm not normally I'll avoid the motion controls if that's an option, you know, like some Switch games kind of have like a mealy mouth approach to uh, uh, the motion controls where it's like, yeah, it's there, but you can also pretty much ignore it if you want to. Uh, and usually I choose to, but here it felt really good.
1: Oh, that, that's good. Another another cool thing that's on the Wii U. The, the The only bizarre part of the Wii U is like somewhat early in the game, Uh, You have to rescue this guy's friend who's in jail and it's Tingle, who we all know and love. Of course. Um, And he gives you this sort of letter to the Miiverse, which you can send out to the Miiverse. But then when you actually try to use it, it's like, oh, sorry, service has discontinued. Right. And that that's always a little bit of a bummer. Not that I'm particularly excited about Miiverse or sad that it doesn't exist anymore, but to have like. A plot point where they're like, "Okay, go rescue this person, and he'll give you this thing." Yeah, and now this thing is in your inventory, and it's totally useless. And totally. every time you use it, there's like a, you know, Nintendo font mess. They don't even make an effort to integrate it into the game font. It's just like the Nintendo Wii U warning message comes up and is like, "Wii U service, Meverse service has been discontinued," and it really kind of takes you out of the game.
0: I will say the and- one thing that this does, and this is a good uh, way to indicate how much care was put into this port, is that introducing Tingle this early, uh, he lets you know where his island is, and that mm-hmm. actually comes into play in that Triforce quest late in the game because one of his Triforce pieces is on that island, and it's entirely possible to miss it without going like combing the entire world. So mm. this is letting you know early on where that island is, which is going to speed things up in the end game. OK, so, yeah, that one, is nice one little bonus there. But, yeah, I, I'm with you completely like, oh, here you worked really hard to do this. And here's a uh, oh, it's like a, a peripheral function. Like I was always really annoyed in Ocarina of Time where it's like your big reward was like a rumble stone. And I'm like, I didn't have a rumble pack at the time. Yeah. So I'm like, well, what the hell yeah. am I doing with this? Like this, this yeah. helps this helps nothing. I just wasted <laughs> my time.
1: Yeah, that, that's totally true. Yeah. It's and and the other thing that was confusing about it is the letter that he gives you is inside of a bottle. Oh yeah, and I was like, oh great, I could just take this letter out and have an empty bottle. And it's like, nope, that's the item. That's and the you, item. You, yeah, that you was. Can't the, remove this note. The
0: hook of the Miiverse like, thing was like sending messages in bottles to your friends. So like that was kind of the idea, but you can't use the bottles like you would a normal Zelda one. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Uh,
1: I yeah I think that mostly like there's a couple little things in this game that feel kind of touchy and dated like you said aiming the flowers or having to talk to characters multiple times for dialogue um but like other than that this game really holds up well um yeah i'm excited i'm excited to keep playing it it's been long enough that i really don't remember much about it like my my most vivid memories of this game are the very end of the game uh-huh. and the second dungeon where you um use your leaf to, like, uh, spin elevators. Right. And, like, I'm on that dungeon now. Me too. And I know there's still, like, a bunch left of the game, and I'm like, I don't remember what all this other stuff is going to be. So I'm excited to keep playing, because, like, I this, this is a game that has made me more excited about the Wii U. It only took, like, what, 200 games <laughs> for us to get there? Mm-hmm. But I'm like, oh, look, this is a game where the promises of the Wii U... Really work in its favor. It doesn't feel sort of gimmicky about it, but like every aspect of it is just more convenient. Like, because I have this in my bedroom and I'm constantly losing my TV remote. Yeah, yeah. And so now I'm like, okay, great. I know where this gamepad is because it's impossible to lose that gamepad.
0: Oh my God, no way. Um, yeah, you use it as an anchor for ships.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so I'll just grab the gamepad, use the TV function to turn on the TV. And then, like, I can so easily, like, drop between um, TV mode and gamepad mode, which is just, like, this game works really well for that. Like, Zelda is one of the few franchises that has had great defining games on consoles and equally great defining games on handheld.
0: It really has. And, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm very, like, pleased and relieved to hear that this uh, connected with you as much as it did. Because I... I think we both had the same response to Twilight Princess, uh, kind of a negative response to it, where it hasn't aged very well, and a lot of the series' quirks have gotten kind of forefronted and were made pretty annoying. Uh, and I was worried. I'm just like, okay, do I just, like, not... And then I well, I also had that arduous experience playing Skyward Sword. And right. I'm like, do I just not like Zelda games anymore? And so I've been afraid to go back to this one. This has uh, uh, always been one of my favorites. I think it's Ocarina of Time and then this... I just mm-hmm. always found it so charming and so fun to sail around. And it's one of those I've been reluctant to revisit because it's like, all right, well, what if I don't like this as much? And, you know, there's, there's, it requires a little bit of patience in the beginning, you know, like, like most Zelda games do. But uh, if you can stick it out past that, I think this is still uh, a very rewarding and beautiful and fun game. I think it, you know, even when there are a lot of similar mechanics to Twilight Princess, this just feels so much more inviting and fun. Uh, right that and and it feels worth like pushing past the annoyances in this one
1: yeah and all the annoyances at least up to this point are quite minor I am I am curious when I do finally get to that section of you know explore and sail and find all the Triforce like will that grade on me but I think again having that Wii U gamepad and be like oh look I can just um, play this you know, on my game pad and have something going on the TV separately, um, will be very conducive to that. Absolutely. So, no, I had a great time and I'm actually excited to, uh, keep playing, keep playing the Selma. same so, here, same here. Yeah. I think
0: I'm going to keep, uh, I'm, I'm going to see it through. I probably won't do the end game, uh, uh, figurine hunting thing that I did the first time I played it. It's, uh, <laughs> that, that if you want to talk about like OCD, it's scratching after you beat the game, you get a uh, deluxe picto box, which basically means you can take color photos. And okay. if you take photos of different characters and enemies from around the world, you can bring it to this special island and have them made into figurines, uh, which huh. I did for every single character in this game. But it is a wow. very tedious process because you only get three photos at a time. So
1: oh my god! So you need gosh. to like
0: do that, then warp over there, and then fly to this island and like make make them into figurines. So. Uh, for the obsessive uh, uh, game completionists among us, this game will have a lot to offer you, um, but I don't think I'm going to fully commit to that this time.
1: Yeah, no, that's that that's totally fine. And uh, that's another thing that, um, you know, you'll see Breath of the Wild takes. Like, there's pictures in Breath of the Wild that they're like, oh, you need to find this environment, um, this place in the world where this picture is. And this game has elements of that as well as yeah. you get that pictogram fairly early.
0: Well, let's move on to our ratings. Uh, each week we are rating the games that we have just played uh, and adding them to our master list. I will kick us off here this time. Uh, I still love this game. I think this is one of the best uh, arguments for the Wii U as a console. I think uh, it, it's a game that still you can only really experience at this quality on this console. So like, mm-hmm. this is a really good argument for it. And uh this is my new number four. This is coming right below Rayman Legends, right above Smash Brothers for Wii U. Uh, it holds up. It's a fantastic game, it's a gorgeous translation, and I'm really happy with it.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm actually exactly there with you. I'm putting it at number four oh, yeah. also. Um, right behind Rayman Legends and ahead of Super Mario three D world. Um and it, it could've I think it could have easily beat out Rayman Rayman Legends. Rayman Legends is just a little more versatile of a game because it works, you know, it has a robust co-op mode and some pretty cool Wii U features. Um, But like, there's a ton of game in Wind Waker and it's it's cool that this is still like the definitive way to play it. Even if this had been ported to the Switch, I still think it would feel better on the Wii U just because like, that double-screen inventory is really helpful um, and not having to pause the game constantly. But, like, I don't know. I, I don't know, Nintendo. Why don't you port this to the Switch? Yeah, what like, the hell? People, more people, people would remember that Wind Waker is really good. And I don't know. I, I, I do wonder about that. Like, is Nintendo going to be, like, more playing it tighter to the chest with Zelda games now? The, like, okay... Breath of the Wild is what Zelda is now, so we're not gonna we're not gonna give you these old Zelda games that are not representative of what Zelda is anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't
0: know. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad we uh, found an accord there. I think that that kind of guarantees it a number four spot, right? Like if we both say it's number four, like when we <laughs> average it list. out, yeah, it's probably gonna yeah. be right there. So uh, good for you, Wind Waker. Uh, we have a couple of letters this week. Uh, the first one says, "Hello, Steve Woody Impossible guest. Sorry, struck out there."
1: The guest is my cat, who I've been petting constantly while she licks herself over the duration of this podcast. She's a great
0: cat. She's a, she's welcome on anytime. <laughs> uh, you guys are doing an excellent job covering the Wii U. However, being the N64 junkie that I am, I really miss your comprehensive N64 content.
1: Well... To make more games and release them for the Nintendo 64 yeah. commercially, and then we'll play them.
0: I was wondering if you guys have ever considered doing a special N64 revisited episode. I think enough time has gone by that the world is ready for it. Here are a few ideas of what you could discuss. One, revisions to your rankings. Uh, perhaps now you've had a few years to sit on these rankings. You may feel you ranked some games too low or others too high. Cough NBA hang time. Oof, oof. What? Oh, shots fired there. Shots fired. I. You know what?
1: If anything, I've been more cemented in that game Yeah. because every time I boot up my N64, I'm like, "Mm, I should play about three games of NBA Hangtime. Yeah. And I do. And it's always great.
0: See? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I stand by that one Uh, to give out some more awards. Uh, You guys gave out a few in the goodbye N64 episode, but perhaps you could give out like best cutscenes, best NPCs, best boss fight, et cetera. And number three, Nintendo Switch N64 Online Expansion Pack. Mm, not sure if you've tried these go. games on the Switch yet, but I would love to hear your take on them. Anyways, looking forward to what you guys have in store for the future, and that is from Johnny in Toronto. Thank you. Thank these you are,
1: Johnny in Toronto. These are
0: good suggestions. I think the the problem for me is that uh it's been a while since we've played any of these N64 games. You yep. know, I no longer have my collection, so I'm not really uh I, I don't really have these easily accessible at my fingertips. Um and so I would want to uh, give a little bit of an extended playthrough before I revised any rankings or gave out awards. And, and we did do
1: oh, – when we did that final episode where we went over everything, like, we did re-rank some stuff. We did, yeah. Um, That that felt a little off, and NBA Hangtime not being one of those because no, no. that ranking was right on.
0: And I'm sorry um, I tanked that a little bit by being lower, but, you know, it wasn't going <laughs> to yeah. be my number one.
1: No, that and that's totally fair. But – um. And so, I think it would be tough, like, to go back and like assign more awards because it's been so long. But I do, I do like the idea of talking about, um, you know, them on the Switch. Did you get that uh, Switch expansion pack? I
0: did, yeah, yeah. And I've uh, uh, I mess with it every once in a while. Like all of the uh, games that are on this uh, uh, Switch Online service, their output is frustratingly slow and incredibly random. Uh, yes. so, so far, you know, like I, I, did sit and replay, I replayed all of the original paper Mario on, uh, the switch online and, yep. uh, had a great Game time rules. with it. Yeah. It's, it's yep. fantastic. I stand by the rankings of that one. Um, but I haven't felt super compelled to play much else. Uh, I find the, the control mapping is a little awkward. I haven't gotten that. They've got that little N64 controller peripheral that you could use with it, but I haven't picked that up.
1: I don't even know if that's still available. Those tend to come and go very quickly. Right. It's also like, I don't know, the N64 controller is objectively not a good controller. No, no, we covered that, yeah. It is so closely associated with playing Nintendo 64 games that it it feels weird to play games from other systems with a Nintendo 64 controller, and it feels weird to play Nintendo 64 games with any other controller. Totally.
0: This, and um, and the, yeah, there there are a few gems on here. Like it's it's always it's great to have easy access to Pokemon Puzzle League. Uh, you know, it's great yep. to have. You know, like I said, Paper Mario, Banjo Kazooie's on here. Uh, I I am really wishing that they could bring out, and I don't know if license rights prevent it, but I'm wishing they could bring out some of the games that we really liked. And wanted to get a little bit more time with, you know, things like Rocket Robot on Wheels or or Rayman 2 or things that had a lot of potential, uh, but we just didn't have the time in the day to, like, put much time into it. Um,
1: Um, There is also, I believe, they're going to release Goldeneye on there if they have not already. That is finally happening. Yeah, yeah. With online play.
0: That's going to be huge.
1: That might be something worth messing around with. Yeah.
0: Oh God, I mean, that, original and uh, N64 GoldenEye Online would be uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, that'd be pretty great.
1: That might that might be enough to uh, actually get me. Not that the expansion pass is terribly expensive, but like, I I have access to those games. Like, I, I, right. I don't feel the need to pay more for them. But uh, online GoldenEye yeah. might might be something that is w- worth trying.
0: Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Be sure to tune in next week. We've got an episode for you about Darksiders uh, a couple of games I have not had any experience with. They seem like they'd be up my alley. It's uh, yeah. uh, a bunch of a bunch of guys punching and other guys throughout mythology. Sounds pretty fun to me.
1: They're actually quite so, uh, Zelda-esque. So it's, it's
0: okay. Pretty all right, similar to, I'm on board. To we've done today.
1: Yeah. So um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be we, talking about Dark Siders One and, 1 and
0: Two okay yeah one and two this is one of the weird instances where the first game was released five years after the second game on the wii u so it's uh it's kind of a whole backwards order because they did a remaster you say like uh,
1: weird instances like this is a thing that has ever happened before in history (laughs) like
0: that's true that's That's true yeah totally (laughs) it's a frequent regular thing all right well we will see you next week for some darksiders have a good one everybody
1: Yeah, keep the wind at your back.